Well, welcome to Waypoint. My name is Blair. I do some of the teaching around here. And for the next six weeks, I'm, I'm going to be presenting some material that I've been working on for a year. I'm kind of excited about it. Um, we're going back to Genesis. If you've been at Waypoint for a little while, uh, you know that I, I really enjoy teaching out of Genesis. If you're newer here in the last year, let me just give you one of the reasons uh, why I get fired up about this. Uh, there are many followers of Jesus who look at the early stories in Genesis and conclude that those are good kid stories that have a great moral. You should read them, find the moral to the story, and move on. There are, there are even some branches of Christianity who would look at these and say, at best, they're fairy tales. Don't pay a lot of attention at all. Maybe you'll find a moral, maybe you won't, but it's just it's fanciful reading. I think what we're looking at here is historical foundational stories that, that when you understand how complex, how intricate, how thoughtful they were in putting these stories together, it will change your mind about how you should pay attention to this text. There's a, there's been a ton of effort into creating all kinds of truths that are foundational for where we're at. In our, it, it affected the rest of the scriptures. It informs us about God. The, the truths are still so foundational that they matter to your life right now. That's the kind of stuff that's going on here. But the only way to get all of that is you have to actually dig in and work because these stories are so thoughtfully put together, you have to thoughtfully find these and pull the stuff out of it. It's a little bit of work. And so... Um, I, I hope you'll go with me on that journey because what this means is, well, over the next six weeks, I'm going to teach Genesis different than I've taught it in the past. In the past, I've grabbed the chapter. I've talked about uh, maybe a type of writing that they did back then that lent itself to helping us understand the truth that was going on, and then I would unfold that. Except the story that we're going to talk about is Joseph. And the story of Joseph is 11 chapters long. I can't just grab one chapter here, one chapter there, one chapter here. I would, it would just not do the job. So what's going to happen instead is I'm going to look at um, Joseph like a tapestry. Here's, here's what I've done. I've gone and I've looked at a whole bunch of rabbi stuff, uh, specifically Rabbi Foreman. I want to call out him. I've looked at Bema podcasts. I've looked at uh, different conferences I've gone to. I've done all kinds of reading. I made a big pile. And then I looked at the stuff that was going on in all of those texts. And what I decided to do was to talk about it like it is one of those ancient, beautiful tapestries that you would hang in a museum and look at. It's, the story is incredible, gorgeous, intricate. And the way that we're going to try to understand that is we're going to grab a thread each week and we're going to pull on it. See, this thread, it starts here, but it runs through the whole story, and it colors this whole thing, and it goes all the way to the end. And if you've got enough of those pictures, if you've got enough of those kind of threads that run through this thing, you would have a deeper, better under, understanding of the whole tapestry. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to grab a thread. I'm going to pull on it. And what that means is because it runs through 11 chapters, it means I'm going to move fast. Sorry. 
I don't know any other way to do it. Um, but these things are so important and they, they span so much that I want to find a way to work through it. Um, which means you'll have plenty of time where you could go back and digest this yourself. And maybe you should, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move quickly. Now, six weeks in a row, I'm going to say this. Let's take a main idea. There's that many. There's that many kind of ideas that are running through this story that have really big implications. But I'm going to take a main idea out of this story this morning. And we're going to chase it through. And we're going to start with the one that starts at the front side of the story. It's, um, it, it starts with a simple question. Who is your father? Who is your father? Most of us will automatically go to biology. We'll consider the person who helped bring us into the world. That, that must be my father. Not everybody does that. Some people will think of a stepfather or a mentor or somebody who cared for them in a way that poured into their lives. And, and they would think about that person that way. This question, who is your father, in the ancient world was a serious question. It was vastly significant. It did not matter if you were biological born or adopted. What mattered was who was your father because your father in the ancient world gave you everything. Everything. You got your name from your father. You got your clothes from your father, food, home from your father. But it's bigger than that. Your father arranged who you would marry. You got your occupation from your dad. You were given an inheritance from your dad. Everybody knew how that whole system worked. This is big. You got your worldview from your dad. How you saw the world, the things that you believed and thought were true, you got from your dad. And if he changed his mind on what was right, good, and true, so did you. That is foreign to us. We, we live in a culture where it's the individual. I make up my own mind. My dad doesn't tell me how to do that. There they did. The, the father called the shots. He had all of this power, which is interesting, because if he does it right, some really good stuff can happen. But if he does it wrong, he'll make a mess. Because he call, he's calling all the shots, and nobody's questioning him. And unfortunately, in the story of Joseph that we're going to look at, the dad is about to make a massive mess. And it's going, to, it's going to surface in this idea of who is your father. Where do we get this who is your father coming to the surface? Verse 3, right out of the gates. It starts in chapter 37 is where the story starts. And by verse 3, the father has given his son an ornate coat. And because we're literal readers in the West, we look at that and we think the problem must be in the ornateness of the coat. It's not. It has a little factor. There's part of that there. But there is something bigger going on in the story. There's something more important going on. But listen, watch how his brothers respond to this. The brothers hated him 
Um, when his brothers saw their father's love for him, that loved him more than any other, they hated him. Why? Why would they hate him over this? Because every, um, the rabbis that I was reading would, would say to you, it was not abnormal for a dad to give a son a coat. That was, in fact, Jacob would have done that for every one of his sons. That was expected. They all had one coat, by the way. Not a wardrobe, no closets, one coat. I mean, some of you ladies are going, <coughs> yeah, you would have one thing to wear all the time. All right? What was weird was that um, Jacob gave Joseph a second one. And what it represented was how he was going to handle the future inheritance of the family. And they all knew it. They all knew that this was going to not go in the way that it should have gone. Let me explain how this should have gone. Let's just put it up on the screen. Jacob had 12 kids. The oldest is Reuben. And when it, and when it comes time for, the, for Jacob to pass, his property would have been divided into 13 shares. If you count those, those aren't 12, that's 13. Because two of those shares should go to Reuben. That's the way it works. It's the way it worked in the ancient world. Everybody knew this. But when Jacob gave Joseph a second coat, he was communicating to him that he was going to break this, and in fact, this was going to go over to Joseph. He was skipping order. It wasn't fair. It wasn't normal. But he's the father. He can do whatever he wants because he gets to call the shots. And he was calling the shots and communicating to everybody that I have chosen him, Joseph, to be the one who receives a larger inheritance. Now this is, this is significant because right early in the story, it's becoming clear that Jacob is taking the place of father in Joseph's life. I'm your provider. I'm your protector. I'm your inheritance giver. In fact, I'm giving you a bigger inheritance than you deserve. You should look to me as your father. But early in the story, there seems to be a competition for Joseph's heart in who would actually be seen as father. Because this happens in verse 5. In verse 5, he has a dream. And he goes and he tells his brothers that they will eventually serve him and they hate him even more. Now listen, either Joseph is clueless or he doesn't care. Have you ever been hated by somebody? I mean, maybe they did you the favor and told you straight up, I hate your guts. I mean, sometimes that happens in families. People are in fights and somebody goes, I hate you. And now you know it. But most of the time, what happens is somebody acts towards you in a certain way. Somebody gives you a vibe and you pick up the vibe and you conclude, this person hates me. His brothers hate him because his dad is favoring him and his, everybody knows it. And then he goes to them and says, 
You're going to bow down. It's not enough that I'm going to get double share. You're also going to serve me. Now that's, again, either he's clueless that they hate him, or he doesn't care because they have to follow whatever the Father says. And anyway, it, it just seems a little, a little deaf. But he presents this dream to his brothers who now hate him even more. Because it now appears that there's another father who's offering another inheritance. And that inheritance is such that not only will he have more property, he will have the service of his brothers. Woo! Second dream happens. Middle of verse 9. I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And the brothers know what this means and they leak it back to dad. Dad, he's saying that you're going to bow to him too. And in verse 10, the father rebukes him. Listen, you little snot nose. I'm the father. I call the shots. I'm not bowing my knee to you. So stop talking like that. You, you want to spout off about your brothers, that's fine. But don't include me in the mix. Now it is worth noting, the end of verse 11, it says this, but his father kept the matter in mind. His father had been given visions by God and knew they were significant. He knew his son was receiving that kind of engagement from God. And instead of being supportive, he rebuked it, but he at least kept it in mind. What does this mean? I don't know. I don't like necessarily what it means or how this is going to go. But at least I'm aware that this could happen. And so right here you have this battle for the heart of Joseph. Who will be your provider? Who will be your protector? Who will ultimately give you your inheritance? God wants to be in a place where Joseph gets that from him. Jacob wants to be that for Joseph. And you see this conflict go on. Now, if, if you want to, you can follow this theme through the whole story of Joseph by looking for two things, coats and dreams. Just follow coats and dreams through the whole story and you'll see this idea of who is your father pop up all over the place. Coats representing what's going on in the physical world. Dreams representing what's going on in the spiritual world as God tries to capture Joseph's heart. Let me give you an example of where you see this playing out. This is in verse 23 of chapter 37. Uh, Joseph had gone out to his brothers, sent there by dad. They stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing. Um, This family is so dysfunctional. A brother is about to be sold into slavery. And the symbolism for that is the removal of this jacket. Why? Because Joseph no longer has protection provision. Nobody's watching out for him. And because he has none of that, he can be sold as a slave. Now, he gets carted off. And you have to kind of wonder if Joseph is thinking in the back of his mind, 
I just have to hang on long enough for dad to track me down. Like he's not going to let this stand. I'm not sure he was aware that his brothers took that jacket and dipped it in blood and passed off that he was dead, killed. So he might have, he might have held out some hope that dad was coming, but eventually he is sold as a slave in Egypt into a prominent house. And we don't know when his hope died. We don't know if he still was holding on to it. That, that part is a mystery, but here's what we do know. We can get this from the text. This is chapter 39. We're advancing through the story. In the middle of verse 4, it says this. Potiphar put him in charge of the, his household. He entrusted to his care everything that he owned. And we know this in verse 12. She caught him by his cloak. He's got a coat. He's got a coat on. Why? Because in the ancient world, father didn't just take care of sons, also took care of slaves. You would clothe slaves. You would give them protection. You would feed them. You would do all of that. And here we find Joseph has landed well. He's in a prominent house. He's got a, a coat on. And he's got responsibility, lots of responsibility. He, he says, I can do, like, I have business over everything that my master has. So he's getting his work from his dad. He's getting responsibility. All of this stuff is now coming from a new father. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but if you were dealt a bad hand, you're put into slavery, the choices of how that could have played out are vastly different. If you would have gone anywhere, if you would have worked in the countryside on a farm, they basically worked you until you died and then they replaced you. They did not care um, about you at all. So the fact that he's in this kind of setting and now through his work and effort, he has gotten, he's gotten a decent place going on. He's got to have some freedom. He's running this the estate, all of that kind of stuff. Would you start to feel comfortable in that setting? Would you feel like, man, it was bad, but I finally eked out something good here? And if that was the case, would there be a risk that you would identify this man as your new father? who is providing for you, protecting for you, giving you opportunities and responsibility, would you, is it possible, that Joseph would take on his worldview? I think it's quite possible, which is why I think you see this happen in the story. At the end of verse 12, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. The wife hits on Joseph. He refuses. The removal of the cloak again is an indication that we're about to see a shift in the nature of what's going to happen with Joseph because he's out from underneath anybody's protection and care. And what happens? He ends up in jail. He ends up in jail. And we see this at the end of 39. He's in jail. He's working hard. He's developing his skills, he's actually running the jail. Now, you want to be careful here. This is the one place where another coat never shows up. 
Joseph does not get a coat in jail. The jailer is using him. He's got great skills, but he is not under the protection of this jailer. When that jailer passes, Joseph is going to still be in jail. That's his life. This is the end of it. End of the road. There's one chance that Joseph has. This one father who had interrupted his story early on could become his father in this place. And if that happens, maybe this story ends up having a good ending. But in this, in this place, there's no favor. He had favor at home. He had favor in Potiphar's house. He has responsibility in the jail, but he has no favor whatsoever. And so either he will turn to his heavenly Father and answer this question of who is my Father, you God are, or he won't. He could become embittered. He could miss out on the mission that God has for him. So this is a really critical kind of moment for him. Now here's the thing. I think I can show you evidence um, that God started something incredible with this family and he wanted to continue it, but it was off track. So if you want to hear about that, come next week. All of this is an attempt to find a way to get back on track. And so um, Joseph is now in a place where he needs protection, he needs provision, he needs some sort of inheritance, he needs somebody who will supply his worldview, how he will see how the world works. And I, I believe there's evidence that that happens in this jail. How long was he in the jail? We don't know. We do know that from the time that he went from Israel till he was elevated in the courts was 13 years. But it looks like a big chunk of that was jail. No protection, no father, no anything. Uh, where we pick up the story in chapter 40 is that the king gets angry with two key people in his court. He sends the cupbearer and the baker into the jail. And they have dreams. Now listen. If you're Joseph and you hear about some guys having dreams, what would you say to them? Yeah, I had a dream a long time ago that my family would bow down to me. And now I'm in jail in Egypt. Dreams are stupid. That's what would come to my mind, right? This is the dumbest thing you could do. I don't even want to talk to you about dreams. Look at what he actually says. This is verse 8 of chapter 40. Do not interpretations belong to God. Wow. Listen, I know I was given a dream. I don't know why it's not working out the way I thought. But I have decided in the belly of this jail that my trust in God is the most important thing. And I'm going to give him that. And the interpretations of that, those belong in God's hands. I'm just going to trust him. And because he had developed that kind of relationship with God, God was able to communicate with him about what was going on in the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. 
Like he had, he had started to answer the question of who my father is. I will trust this person who gave me the dreams. This is just a side thing, but I think it's worth mentioning. I think God still gives dreams to people. If you want to call them dreams in your head, visions, desires to accomplish and go do something, I still think he does that. But it's kind of weird. Because sometimes people get lost chasing the dream and they forget the dream giver. And in this story, God needed to make sure that the dream giver was the father that Joseph needed because the next thing that's going to happen in his life is going to be a massive test. And if he has not answered the question of who my father is, who the dream giver is that I trust, then this whole mission that he's been sent on is wasted, gone. So this is big. And I, I think God may even be putting dreams and desires in your heart that charge you up and cause you to go to work every day or get up and do what you do. Be careful that you don't miss the dream giver. Joseph doesn't. He finally gets found. Coats and dreams. Just follow coats and dreams. He has no coat. But he interprets dreams, and he's been found. And maybe he's got a little hope that this skill he has is going to get him out of this jail. And then we read this in 41, verse 1. When two full years had passed, what? Have you ever, have you ever been somewhere where you thought it was the light at the end of the tunnel? And it went on and on. And your level of frustration grew. And honestly, in those moments, you have two choices. One, you conclude that you can't trust God with this dream because he obviously doesn't care about you. Or two, you conclude that you can't control the outcome of this stuff and you better put your trust in God. And that's your only option because you don't have the control to bring about what you want. It appears that's what Joseph did. It's not your skill that's going to get you out of here, Joseph. I'm going to elevate you when the time is right. And what happens next? It's big. J Pharaoh has a dream. And Joseph, long story short, Joseph is the one who is called to interpret the dream. And because he has a connection with God, he's able to step into that environment and tell Pharaoh, this is what's going to happen. And watch what happens next. This is the middle of verse 42 in chapter 41. He, Pharaoh, dressed him, Joseph, in robes of fine linen. Ooh. Who's got protection now? Who's got power now? If you pay close attention, Pharaoh supplies him a home, supplies him an occupation. 
He gets him a wife. He does all the things that a father should have done for his son. He is giving him protection and power. By the way, he gives him a whole lot more things. We're going to have to cover those in, in future dates. But here we find a coat being put on his shoulders that signifies, I'm caring for you. I'm protecting you. And if you paid attention, you would also know one other big difference. When, when Joseph presented his dream to his father, what did his father do? Rebuked him. What did Pharaoh do? Listened to him, respected him, and elevated him. Treated him with respect because of this connection that he had with God. See, if there's anybody who's qualifying as father right now, it wasn't Jacob. It wasn't Potiphar. It wasn't the jailer. But maybe Pharaoh. Maybe Pharaoh who is coming along and fulfilling and giving everything into Joseph's life that a father should give. And if he's, if he's going to see Pharaoh as father, it means he's going to adopt his worldview, which means he's going to believe in many multiple gods. He's going to go down a rabbit hole that he's not going to get out of. But you know what? Joseph had answered the question, who is my father, before he gets to this moment. Because he remembered that back when he was in Israel, his father gave him a dream. And now his father was the dream fulfiller too. Pharaoh didn't have that kind of power. Pharaoh's having to ask him what the dreams mean. He doesn't have any control over the famine coming or not coming. Joseph knows this. He knows who's really in control. And so he makes a choice. And if you pay attention in the scriptures, Pharaoh does not ask him to give up his belief in this God. He asks him to pay attention to this God and to lead. And that's what Joseph does. And in so doing, saves the lives of millions of people. Because why? Because he answered a simple question. Who is my father? Now, it took a long journey for that to be answered. And if you were paying attention, I, I, just, made a little, I just made a little note here. Of the, all the things that could have captured Joseph's attention, what could he have trusted instead? Possessions. He ended up with a lot. Power. He ended up with a lot. His abilities, if you pay attention in the scriptures over and over again, he is a responsible person because of his abilities. And he could have trusted in his own abilities. But instead, he answers the bigger question. Which brings me to you. Who is your father? not talking biology. I'm talking about the way the ancient world would have viewed it. Who do you see directing your path? Who do you see as provider in your life? Who do you see as the one who will grant you the inheritance that matters? Because that's an important question. 
It's one that deeply matters. And in our culture, Father doesn't play that kind of role anymore. You want to know who does? We're a self-reliant society. I determine that I'm going to provide for myself. I'm not going to rely on anybody else. I'm going to be my own protection. I'll build walls around my heart if I have to. I'll, I'll get my own inheritance. I will take care of myself through work and will. And I tell you what, work and will are great things to have. Joseph had them too. But if they're aimed for the wrong father, they are worthless in your life. And if you are simply building stuff for you, you will wake up one day dissatisfied with how that has not provided for your life the way you thought it would. There's only one. There's only one father who cares about you in the midst of your gutter moments, peak moments, who just says, if you'll just find a way to trust me, I'll protect you in a way you can't understand. I'll give you peace in situations that nobody will be able to explain. I will give you an eternal inheritance that nobody can touch or tarnish. That's the question that gets raised early in the Joseph story. Who is your father? Who have you placed your trust in? And I'm hoping that over the course of this next week, that will burrow somewhere deep into your heart. And you realize the dreams that you've been given by this God who loves you is important. But more important is the dream giver. And if you could turn your attention to that person, give him your attention, your devotion, your life would be changed, would be put on missions that you can't understand. That's what happened with Joseph. And I believe it still goes on today. I want to pray for you real quick. God, I love this idea in the text that what you really want is for us to look at you as Father. A Father who protects. A Father who gives inheritance. A Father who understands and listens. Gives dreams. Fulfills dreams. You're, you're it. And yet we live in a culture where we have decided so many times that we will be the captain of the ship, that we will chart our course, that we will fulfill our dreams. And we miss the dream giver. God, over the course of this next week, I ask that you would burrow into our hearts that this question would just ring in our heads Who's my father? Am I, am I giving God that kind of attention? Is he getting that kind of adoration? Is he getting that kind of devotion from me? He's my father. 
I'm going to trust him. Whether I'm on the peaks or whether I'm in a tunnel that feels like it's not ever coming to an end, I'm going to trust him. God, I ask that you would bring peace as people make these decisions for you to be Father, for you to be the one who determines what we believe, why we believe it, how we're going to live. God, shape our lives. I ask you would help this congregation, this group of people, wrestle with this foundational question. Who is their father? Speak to us. We want to listen. In Jesus' name, amen.